Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Chris Kizak, who's the esports advisor for the Isle of Man government. Such a unique role. He's going to talk about how to incentivize esports for different countries and municipalities, what regulation means to esports and to betting as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about the metaverse. Join me in talking to Chris. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Kissack, esports advisor for the Isle of Man. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. I know you've been really patient to get me on. So yeah, have my it's been good. It's mostly been my fault. It's been extremely busy over here, but I am glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I think we can evenly split the blame. So for the listeners, Chris and I, I think we've been talking for almost a year about getting <laughs> you on the podcast and it's, it's either, hey, I got this thing that popped up or I've already recorded eight <laughs> sessions and I'm not in the studio for another month, but it's always been a priority to get you on. And so I'm really thrilled to talk to you is this is actually our first live conversation outside of email or LinkedIn messages. Yeah, man. No, it is. And like it, it, thinking back, it has been about a year. So I started, and that's a, re- that's a testament to your expertise as a host is a good segue in because I started the role about a year. But yeah, we, we've been talking for a good year, I'd say. On like I've listened to your podcasts and just always wanted to come on. But as, as you said, timing wise is not uh, always works. So I'm glad to be here. I appreciate that. Well, maybe the time has given us more to talk about because it sounds like you've yeah. been busy. You've done a lot over there. So first of all, tell us, what do you do in this role as esports advisor for the Isle of Man? Okay. So it's Isle of Man government. But the Isle of Man is a good good point, really, because as part of my role, I work with grassroots. I work with local talent who need some support and guidance from an esports point of view, to turn the clock back then. So, you know, I took this role as they were looking for head of esports within the government. It's got a good track record in a number of sectors. We've done very, very well. We've done very well over the last sort of 17 years in, in the betting and the gambling space. Mm-hmm. We've done very well in the shipping industry, very well in the tech industry. And then that's, when I say very well, it's attracting companies here attracting startups, entrepreneurs, and really being seen as a location, as a jurisdiction to do business. And as, as most people, unless they're kind of living under a rug, saw esports start to kind of hit the more of the headlines, more of the, the mainstream. And the government said, well, look, we've got to look at this. We've got to get involved in this, but how do we do it? We've got to do it authentically. I mean, the island, for anybody that doesn't know, a population of around 85,000. I think the last census is kind of 80, 82,000. So it's quite small. And it was easy for me to kind of make noise in the right circles within government to say, hey, look, you need to be getting on this. And I, and I suppose we'll get on to it in a minute, but I've always had a, a passion for video gaming, passion for competitive video gaming. And I worked in the corporate space all my life. And it was easy to knock on government's door and say, if you're looking to get into esports, the most important thing is you're seen as doing it authentically. So yes. the island has got to be seen on the world stage. We're going to get into this. We've got to do it authentically. And my role has really been over the last 12 months is looking at what we do as an island and how we can pivot that into esports. So we've we've got a really good track record in regulation. Esports isn't regulated. The industries that we work on are regulated. What can we do? What can we apply? And we've learned from regulating betting and gambling as an example and bring that into the esports space. Yeah. From a grassroots, we've got a really, really good track record in supporting traditional sports. So whether or not that's cycling with, with Cavendish, with snowboarding, and there isn't any snow here, um, but we've created, <laughs> we've created Olympic level snowboarders. That's um, impressive. If you can attract Olympic <laughs> level snowboarders without snow, I got to hmm. know the secret sauce. So, I mean, the, the, the secret sauce is, is if you identify somebody that's got a passion for sport. Doesn't matter what it is, whether or not it's chess or snowboarding or playing League of Legends. Yeah, if you can kind of support them and give them a pathway to greatness. So, okay, what do you need mm. to achieve to get to that level? 
Um, and whether or not that's support from physio, it's support from mental health, it's getting you out to slopes where there is snow. And, you know, we're really, we're really good at that. And, and from my mind, and I'm sure you will agree and your listeners, esports should be no different. It doesn't matter if you're playing video games or you're, you're on a bike or you're kicking a football around a field. If you want to, you know, if you've got talent and, and or aspiration or yeah. passion for that, you, you, should, you should be supported for that. So the Alamance got really good pedigree in loads of different areas that the esports industry is, is in my mind, is crying out for. You know, it's crying out for more structure when it comes to farming of companies, of, of managing the back office. And sometimes that's seen as the boring side of things, but it's important. You know, you, you can have all of the passion to create an org or to be a pro player, but if you don't take the time to think, well, actually, how do I, how do I create the company for this org? How do I open a bank account for this org? How do I make sure I've got contracts in place? Yeah. How do I make sure I'm doing the right things as I'm as I'm entering into different regions? How do I sort my visas? And uh, again, the island's got a really good track record in doing that, in supporting that, in attracting businesses to the island to say, hey, look, I know where I'm going to go and set up my company, or I know where I'm going to go to look for talent in that particular field or that particular ecosystem. So I spent the last 12 months working with various government departments, educating them on esports, so kind of coming in blind to some of them, saying, well, you know, you've heard of esports, or you, your son or daughter may play a particular title, which may be an esport, but let's break things down and, and explain to you actually all the moving parts of the esports ecosystem. And let's talk about how we as a government or we as a, an island can support that both locally, so support our local talent, Nurture our grassroots, but also attract businesses and attract orgs and attract players and attract talent here. So it's been busy. It's been exciting. Done a lot of presentations and you know said the same things a lot. But thankfully, I'm very passionate about the the world of esports. Very passionate about competitive video gaming. So it's not as much of a chore as if I was you know out flogging or selling something else. So so yeah, it's it's. It's been a busy 12 months, especially from a COVID and a pandemic point of view and, and the world kind of going into lockdown. And I've tried to to use my time where I'm not traveling and not getting out uh, as much as possible and focus on supporting our grassroots, supporting our local talent. And to be honest, I mean, these 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 individuals or these local TOs, they existed before I took the role, but sure. they were just kind of in the shadows. They were they 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 needed I suppose some support in in getting out from kind of the the, the church halls and the, the back rooms and the, the the bedrooms to actually we're a government now your local government wants to support you and whether or not that's helping you with funding or it's helping you with introducing you to the right people and some of the early meetings that I had when I took the role was with I think the first meeting I think back the very first meeting I had when I took this role was with the local Smash tournament operators. There was three university yeah. lads and those guys were important to me because if I can win them over and say, look, you know, this government guy in a suit, he's actually one of you guys. He might right. be like touching 40 and, and a few gray hairs in his beard, but he, he's been there. He's done that. He actually wants to help you guys. It's not just the fact that, hey, we've heard of esports. Uh, it's growing. Let's stick somebody in and, and, and get them to do the role. So it all comes back to that authenticity, being authentic. Mm -hmm. Well, I think a lot of what you're explaining that you're providing to teams, orgs, brands is it's so needed in esports anyway. So what you're explaining, what you do in these other industries, okay, regulation or helping with contracts, these other things, of course, every industry needs that. But one of the things that I see greatly in the global esports space is just that you we're still in that early growth phase from a business perspective. And so the space has greatly not been professionalized. Now, it's absolutely improving. And I give a lot of credit to people in the space who see an issue and they confront it and they take it on and they fix it rather than just turn a blind eye to it. But it would make me think that because that is an even greater need in esports than other more mature industries, then that might give you an even greater opportunity than other governments to bring people in while you're focusing on that. No, that's right. No, you're 100% right. And I think the challenge is it's not as it's not as flashy and as exciting as the rest of esports. You know, yes. you, you have a conversation with somebody and say, hey, 
you know, let's talk about esports. But what we're going to be talking about is making sure that the prize money is in an escrow account and the funds are managed and controlled and only released when you've met certain requirements. But actually, if you're, you've traveled with teams, so if you've been with players that have played in a tournament where they've not been paid on time or in full, or they've been given this like novelty oversized check, but actually they can't cash it because the tournament operator has been a little bit dodgy and not managed their cash flow or, or unintentionally. You know, they've, they've been unexperienced. They haven't realized that keeping the prize money separate is, is beneficial to them. So I suppose one of the challenges I have is convincing firms and individuals to, to, that there is other areas of esports, which, as you said, is so important. It might not be the kind of the glitzy pro players or streamers or um, some of the things that you see in the press, but goddamn, it's important. It's so important, oh, um, especially for the growth of the industry. And you can play a part in that. And so far, you know, I've had a really good success. And I think some of it can be down to the fact that as an island, you know, we've weathered the pandemic pretty well compared to other places. Because we're an island, we can draw draw bridges up. And last year we had seven months with no COVID here, which allowed our local lands to continue. I think we're probably one of the only places in Europe that could actually continue to have local land events without social distancing, without masks. And, and you know, we, we, we made sure that, you know, local players took advantage of that. You know, the, yes. the, the players could do that. So, but it gave me an opportunity to... You know your lawyers, your your bankers, your corporate guys, and say, look, if you want to learn about esports, get out to this tournament. You know, go out right. to this Smash tournament, go out to this Rocket League tournament that's happening. It might not be, you know, a full stadium size. It might not be a million dollar prize pool or forty million dollars prize pool. But at its core, you've got players playing with each other. You've got a TO. You've got a streamer there. You've got observers there. You've got casters there. You can really feel the kind of excitement and the the, the uh, reason why I've stuck with esports and competitive video gaming for so long, but there's only so much you can read about it. You've got to get there and see it and see the passion of these young people playing in these games. And I think sometimes that can be that can be lost. You know, you, you know, you can you can get so wrapped up in the big prize pools. You can get so wrapped up in the Twitch streamers and you can get so wrapped up in other areas of esports and the valuations and how much this org is worth and how much they're paying for this. When people, especially on the likes of LinkedIn, if they want to learn about esports, they need to actually get out there and see a tournament or even just watch an actual tournament. Yeah. Um, They get so much from that. Yeah, I greatly, or this is something that I tell people all the time, you need to see it in person. Yeah. And... Yeah, we marketers or we, uh, uh, us people who are on LinkedIn every single day, we're always talking about, oh, the branding, uh, the marketing aspect of it, or, oh, there's this valuation, this, that, the other. And my Mm -hmm. question, the thing I think a a lot about with all these people that are commenting or posting is, have you ever been to one in person? Or a lot of people hit me up. You know, I get messages all the time. Hey, I'm really trying to learn about the space. I want to get into it. And I encourage people to do that. I, in fact, I see almost a personal responsibility to help bring in the right people. You know, people who, it's okay if you don't have a background in esports, but if you have a complementary expertise, if you can help us move the space forward in a positive way, thinking about that community first, not just yourself first, then I want to introduce you to the space and help you figure it out. But I think one of the first things that anybody should do if they want to learn about the space is go to a physical in-person event. And I think the greatest example I've seen of this is one of the owners of Complexity Gaming. One of those owners is a gentleman named John Goff. And John Goff is a real estate business or I'm sorry, John Goff is a real estate billionaire in Dallas. And his okay. son, Travis, has followed Complexity for the longest time. I think he met Jason Lake when he was like 12 years old at some CSGO tournament. So he's telling his dad, you know, when they're looking at acquisitions, oh, it's got to be Complexity, we have to do this, etc. Their business partner was Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys, well-known. But John said the moment he got it, was when he went to a Counter-Strike event in Dallas. And those Counter-Strike yeah. events are amazing. I say the the energy in the arena rivals a hockey game. 
You know, it really yeah. does. And you can look at all these headlines, especially if, if you're an investor and you've been around a while, you've got good reason to be skeptical, I would say. Mm-hmm. But when it you see how real it is and you say, this is where my dollars need to be. This is the space I need to support. This is the future of entertainment is when you feel that energy when a team wins or, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. So what have you seen with your experience of getting people to events and their response after experiencing as opposed to before? I've seen, I mean, I, the last big, big tournament that I went to was off Island. It was in Berlin. It was Counter-Strike tournament. It was a Starlight Counter-Strike tournament. Uh, Mercedes-Benz Arena, it's going to be close to like 40,000 people. And there were some colleagues that I was with at the time and they never experienced. And it was a Counter-Strike tournament, as I said. And, and seeing them, and they'd read about it and they'd seen my presentations. And and when they got there, and one guy in particular, he he's, he'd followed, he's a big football fan. I'm football, I mean, I soccer but a big football fan been to to Wembley been to a lot of football events and he had kind of this preconception I suppose coming in that you know the fans would be divided on on one side and he, he knew there was passion there but seeing kind of the 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 difference I mean this is only something you can experience when you you go to an esports tournament that there is still that rivalry but it's You've got that common bond of uh, a love for the game, a love for the, and you can have fans sitting amongst each other, and you can be queuing up for a beer or a hot dog or whatever it may be with rival fans, and you can get into conversations with them, and and it just it's a safer space. It's, and I'm not saying that you know soccer isn't or football or other sports, you know, aren't safe. I mean, the, the but the difference I feel from an esports point of view, it's like you said, you've got to experience it, and. Coming away, he, his mind was just blown by, you know, how tight-knit this, especially from the Counter-Strike scene, how tight-knit they were and striking conversations with people from all over the world and, and just the spectacle of that as well from yeah. a, a, you know, the, the the pyrotechnics and the flames going up when, you know, the, the, the bomb wasn't diffused and he was like, wow, this just feels like a mix between a, a, a rock concert and a WWE the wrestling event it's just yeah it's it was mind-blowing and since coming back he's he's been you know he's found his team that he was following he's, he's become a, it's like a diehard Astralis fan and cool. he's been following them and seeing the rivalries and it's you know that that i suppose in answer to your question is, is one of the highlights of kind of seeing someone converted but then i've seen that locally as well just on a, on a smaller scale you know, I've, I've I've seen that in our local smash scene. We've got a really good smash scene here, and I've seen parents and head teachers and people coming to these events. And rather than just dropping their their kids off, they would stay and hang around and have conversations with them and ask them answer the questions they had about you know what we were doing as a government and what opportunities they are growing into this and seeing them and being wrapped up in the, the kind of the excitement and the energy from the from the tournament. You know, was it's, it's one of the most fulfilling things from my job is 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 converting people into the understanding from an esports point of view especially from the art of man because we've got a really good e-gaming and betting ecosystem here mm. so some of the biggest betting companies are licensed and headquartered here. you know an Isle of man license in that space is seen as a gold standard and from an economic point of view the island has done extremely well and continues to do as well continues to do really well in that space but one of the challenges dude is is that you say to a number of people on the island, you say, look, you know, gaming or uh, esports, and they're like, oh, you, you mean betting and gambling? Right. So, no, 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 it, it is different. So, you know, there's that company over there that hires like 250 people. They do esports. So, well, no, they don't. They do, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, betting and the gambling side of things, not even not even on, on esports. They're not even esports betting company. So, and some people, you know, they 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 they, they have a, either a strong opinion on on betting and gambling on esports, and so that's been a challenge, I suppose, for myself, especially locally, is re-educating people on what, to me, if I say gaming, what gaming means to me is totally different than maybe somebody that works in the betting world. When you say gaming, they've almost taken that word. And initially, right. a few years ago, I, I got quite um, triggered by that. It was like that's not when you say gaming. That's not gaming. What I do and 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 what I'm passionate about that's gaming. But just the same as you know, some people still get create, triggered about the spelling of esports. I don't get as triggered as much as that. There's so many other things to get you know excited about or frustrated about than that now. But there was a time when both of those would 
triggering me pretty hard. But I choose my battles now. <laughs> I choose, choose what should. to get, you know, excited about. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you're talking about betting, and betting in esports is a hot topic because it hasn't really been figured out yet. And mm-hmm. I'm no expert on betting, so I'm kind of leaning on you here. From what I've understood, based on talking to some people in my network, is essentially that what betting requires is regulation. And yes. so esports, all these sports betting folks are kind of waiting on the sidelines to wait for further regulation in esports and then they're going to jump all the way in is that accurate or would you put it, it depends a on the way? jurisdiction okay depends on the jurisdiction depends on where the the customer or the punter or the the people that's make betting on it depends on where they're based as well i mean I, i'm not a betting expert i don't gamble not because of moral i'm just not very good at it you know I, <laughs> I, I go i go with my heart you know i bet i don't you know i bet with you know what the, the team i'll bet on the team that i'm passionate about even though they might be you know a dead ring last i'll still bet on them. i find it very difficult to bet on a team that you know i don't follow i'm not passionate about but from a regulatory side i think there is so much that the world of esports needs to learn from the betting world mm. so what i do know of the betting world it is probably the most highly regulated industry on the planet. Yes, you know, um, from a from a regulatory side, especially from an art of man point of view. If you want to enter into that space and you want to set up a company, if you look at Rivalry, Unicorn, Lookbox, and those are the three guys that I would say, from an esports betting platform, are leading the charge. They're leading the way. They're doing things right. They've been built by gamers and esports fans and their products they deliver they want to make sure that they are fair and you can trust them yeah and those three companies are out of man companies and they have out of man licenses but as i said there's so much that the world of esports needs to learn from the e-gaming world rather than pushing back because they know how to regulate in their industry they know how to make sure that the ones that are doing it right anyway paying out as we take tournament payouts so I may be going off tilt and not answering your question directly, but uh, I'll, I'll go with it and you can rein me back in. If you take payouts, so if you want a, a license, you want a, a betting license from online gaming and gambling, you, there are requirements, especially from an Isle of Man license, you've got to store your prize fund in escrow. And what effectively that means is, is you, you, you can't touch those funds. So those funds are managed and controlled by a separate bank account to your running of your business. So if your company went belly up, the, your customers are still going to guarantee to get paid. So, because the prize money is kept separately. That is something that the world of esports desperately needs. Hmm. Because if you play in a tier two or a tier three tournament and that prize money isn't segregated and separate, right. there are, and this still happens, and I've been with teams that have suffered that they've played in a tournament they've gone to the they've won they've gone to the to and said hey you know we're coming for our prize money and they're like sorry we've spent that prize money on the lighting guys on the security guys or we've not got that funding yet from the sponsor so you know here's a trophy and we want to talk about it on our socials that you've won but we can't actually <laughs> give you that cash for another six months doesn't and it go over well no and and if you're a tier two and a t3 and a, a new org you know, especially as the org owners, they may not have be experienced in managing a business. They may not be that experienced in cash flow. Right. If you're in a tournament and you're told that you can't get that prize money because you've the TO has spent it, that can be a make or break for you. But if you're in the world of e-gaming and gambling, you know, that that if you're betting on a company or a site which has an artifact license, as an example, you know that you're going to get paid out exactly to the terms and conditions that it says. It's going to be paid out on time and in full, and it's going to be managed by an escrow provider. So those are the sort of things from a regulatory side we need to look at. As for regulation directly in esports betting, I'd say we are seeing more and more companies that are traditional sports betting, sports books, start to dip their toes into providing odds on esports. But there's still a lot of education that needs to be done with these guys. For the other guys that have built their esports betting platform from scratch because they've been either ex-pro players or they've been involved in the industry. They know what odds to offer on certain games. They know how to create the language and how to to, to market it to, to players. Whereas these other sports, they maybe have been great over the last few years and offering odds on everything from baseball to ice hockey to uh, tradi- all the traditional sports, but they don't know how to create a 
a a section of their site or a, a platform to talk to esports fans and gamers right and, and a, a lot of that even comes down to the socials if you look at i mean rivalry is, is a great example you look at their socials and you can clearly see that these guys know especially counter-strike that these guys are passionate fans Absolutely. from their meme game to talking about what's happening in different scenes and the other sports book guys have got a challenge there but the, the advantage for that dude is is that if you're you know if, if you're a, a young person and you want to get a job in, in 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 that industry if you can bring that knowledge and bring that passion to this into this company that's saying hey you know we, we want to get into esports yes it might not be as exciting as being the next pro player or being the next organer but it's a job and you're going to get paid and these people are looking for that authentic knowledge and authentic understanding so i'm quite envious if i could turn the clock back kind of 20 years i'm quite envious of these young people that are excited to work in esports or excited to work in gaming i think the challenge that we have is 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 individuals that you know that have been around the block is young people still need to be educated on different pathways oh esports yeah esports needs marketers it needs accountants it needs all of the maybe the boring stuff quote unquote but yeah for the industry to grow and the industry to continue to to grow the whole ecosystem need to grow we need to um re-educate i think some some of the young people that especially as they're coming out of college and university and schools that you still need to look at esports in a way that it requires so many different skill sets yeah so many different areas of expertise Uh, you've just got to market yourself in that way you've got to put yourself forward in that way don't give up on studying accountancy don't give up on studying you know corporate structuring or law or whatever it may be because the industry needs all that you're 100% right. In fact, I was at a event this weekend, local local youth esports tournament. Well, actually, it's a, it's a nationwide league, but they have local franchises, and they all came together for their North American finals. It was really cool. I spent lunch talking to a father who he owns one of the franchises, and his son is who he's operating it with. So it's pretty cool to see this dynamic. His son is 20 years old. He's played on his collegiate team. He he was casting part of the event as well. And so he knows everything esports. I said, his name is Aaron. I said, Aaron, if I would give you any advice, it would be focus on the business side. Focus on learning and gaining experience in business. You have the gaming side. And because you have this love for it, you'll always understand it. The same way that I inherently understand skateboarding because I've been in it for so long. This kid, I was like, look, you've got that. You know all the little intricacies and nuances. What our space needs is not more of that. We've got plenty Mm. of it. Of course, you need it to continue, but that's not going to be a need. What we need is the business side. And I said, if you can just put yourself in as many situations, whether it's traditional education or volunteering at events, or anything in between, you know, focus on those things. And currently, I would say currently we have this gap between professional business experts with a lot of experience and understanding of traditional business and the esports space. Now, I believe in about seven years, five to seven years, that gap's going to close because people like Aaron in seven years, he's going to know a lot about business because he's gained that. But currently, the folks aren't there. Now, you have seven years in business. That's a lot different than 20 years in business, too. But I think these gaps are going to close from both sides until we fully build that bridge. But I completely agree that the most important thing is that business side supporting the gaming Mm. side. Yeah, 100%. And like you said, you'll, you'll, you'll see this other generation coming in, people that work in are progressing in, in a, let's take a bank as an example, you know, in their compliance team and their onboarding team and their new business team. And they'll have that passion. They'll have that one. That'll be a tick anyway, because they will be gamers. they will be passionate video gamers. they will be passionate about esports. But what I'm excited about is, is starting to see the changing of the guard, you know, changing. So you, you, as your senior guys go up, your big decision makers kind of embracing the 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 industry embracing our industry a lot more and having that both that knowledge of business and knowledge of, and passion of esports and you can't you can't um, manufacture 
that. You can help it and you can nudge it along the way, but it can't be forced. But what we're trying to do over here is educate the businesses on the opportunities in esports so then they actually look in internally in their own staff and i have seen it happen already you know i'll go in and i'll educate the decision makers the ceos and and say okay look you've read about esports and you've seen the headlines and you've seen how the valuation but let's talk actually you know the and a lot of it unfortunately i'll go through the horror stories i'll go through players not getting paid or i'll go through teams getting stranded because their org owner is not understood visas and and moving players from one country to the next so i'll go into these law firms i'll go into these banks and and i'll I'll talk about these i can't necessarily guarantee that the the ceo is also going to be a massive warzone player or a massive counter-strike player but saying look you've probably got people in your roster within your company that are you know you know and, and and get these guys to come forward and whether or not that's running internal tournaments or it's just you know putting something in the eternal email newsletter say hey look there's any any games here rather than not that i don't like putting in and doing that but there's only one of me at the moment so you know if i can help these businesses or these even within government help with these the, the different departments and say look there's a good chance that you're going to have uh, a gamer within your mitts or gamers within your mitts and and it's what's been so great for me is seeing people embrace that you know, I can remember, it really makes me sound old, but I can remember, whenever you say I can remember when, but <laughs> I can I can, I can, can remember when maybe, you know, being so passionate as a gamer wasn't necessarily something that you would wear on your sleeve and, and wear as a badge, you know, um, yeah. especially growing up, the majority of my friends were big football fans. You know, they're big into football. And I was, you know, I was never into football. I would much rather either play video games or watch somebody else play video games. And, but it wasn't something that you would necessarily make too much noise about because either you, you know, you would be singled out, you'd be picked on or, you know, why, why don't you get excited about the world cup or the Euro or, or, or football? I just, it just never interested me. Whereas it's been great to see kind of a shift now. And then not Absolutely. only is it accepted, it's encouraged. And what's, you know, what was really surreal was I, I got invited back to my local college to, to talk about my role, to talk about esports and talk about video games. And and I, I was saying to the students, and some of them got it and some of them just didn't really realize how surreal it was. But 20 years ago, I was running off the books tournaments in the same college, you know, <laughs> that weren't authorized. You know, we were running uh, Quake tournaments, we were running on real tournaments and we didn't have permission. You know, we didn't have permission to install them right. on the machines. It was very off the books. And me walking through the halls 20 years later, seeing posters advertising tournaments, not only that, encouraging people to play. And I was like, you know, a while ago, you know, what your, your, you've got these opportunities to play in these tournaments. We had to do those on the quiet. You know, we, we would risk getting kicked out. And now 20 years later, you've asked me to come back and encourage you to do more of that. It was, yeah, it was really surreal. And, and it, but it's, it's been great to see, you know, I've got two boys myself and seeing, especially my youngest growing up with the metaverse growing up he's a massive fortnite fan and and we recently watched the ariana grande concert together and i'm so excited for what the future holds for him with the metaverse what are you looking forward to and why don't you describe a little bit about what that is for our listeners who aren't familiar with the metaverse that's a tricky question because it's constantly evolving i mean (laughs) i would say the metaverse is the bridging and the bringing together of brands, of products, of people, ideas in multiple platforms. So if we take Fortnite as an example, so you can use Fortnite to play competitive games, but you can also use Fortnite to watch a concert. But then you can then, and this is my take on what the metaverse is, it doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily contained within in, in, in Fortnite because... Right. As part of that wider metaverse, if we take the, the perfect example with the Ariana Grande, we watch the concert on the Fortnite platform, but then, you know, I'm not a huge fan and I wasn't before, but now afterwards, both of us, me and my youngest, were, were jumping on Spotify to see whether or not they had any, any Ariana Grande playlists. And Spotify were already on the ball and they created a set list from the actual concert. And then 
you know, should we not that we are, I mean, we would like the music by concerts going into the live concerts, but should we have been fans there, we could have gone to the real world concert and, and seen some of the products in there. And if the way that the metaverse is going, let's say, for example, you know, we bought skins within the concert Right. When we go to the actual live concert, we can scan a QR code in, and we can get discount on the same physical shirt that we bought in the real, in in, in the metaverse side of things. So, to me, as I said, it's 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 bringing these different platforms together, and it's creating this universe to allow people to experience brands or products or individuals in in so many different ways, so many different ways. Yeah, I guess the way that I would put it is kind of to sum up what you said is. It's the mashup of digital and physical worlds across a variety of platforms. Yes, that's where your podcast hosts. <laughs> it took me a ramble to get to that point, and you summed it up in a sentence. Hey, yeah, that's, you helped that's me get exactly. there. You helped me get there. So, what are you excited about the metaverse? As you see this, and you're thinking about what your children are going to experience, what gets you most hyped when you think about that? For me, it's the 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 attending as an audience member. And, and bringing the VR into that as well. So mm. I think there's been this focus on VR from a gaming point of view, but is, is anybody who's, who's spent enough time in, in VR is very difficult to play a first person game in VR without puking after 10 minutes. You know, if you're trying to look at 360 and you've got the speed and the pace of, let's say, a Counter-Strike tournament, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You know, you can't perform at that level. But what you could do if entering into sort of the metaverse model, let's say you and I attend a tournament that is sponsored by Pizza Hut. Uh-huh. And at the halfway during the game, you know, we've we've because we're attending in VR and we bought a ticket for this particular tournament that allows us to position ourselves in the perfect area of the map. And we can just observe everything in a VR, you know, we're stationary, but we can see the teams going at it. And then halfway through it's like, hey, you know, we we should get a pizza. And there's a VR representation of, you know, a, a pizza base and we can, you know, we can pick from toppings and we can throw some pepperonis on there and pineapple if that's your thing i don't want to start a big debate pineapple does not belong on a pizza i'm gonna take a hard stand right there (laughs) (laughs) so so we can you know we throw these toppings on and you know we 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 split the bill but you're actually in a totally different part of the world you know you're in texas i'm here in the other man but we're in this environment you know, together watching this Counter-Strike tournament. We've both ordered a pizza. We're able to track so the delivery driver that's delivering mine comes up in a 3D space. We're able to, you know, see which delivery driver is going to deliver the pizza first. And that bringing of the two worlds together. And then, you know, my pizza arrives, I take the headset off. I'm able to sort of hashtag and take a picture of it and that drop it off on my socials, dropping in and just the worlds colliding together. Love it. I think is what excites me the most and then from a merchandising point of view i mean that's huge as i said that sort of example being able to purchase an in-game item and then go out to the store and buy the same item or a similar item and the two worlds kind of coming together linking it to my avatar if i go out and buy some some merch in a in a store that will appear in real time instantly with my avatar in game and everything from i mean i'm waiting to see you know, your, your food and beverage, your energy drinks, take advantage of that as well. You know, I think there's morally, we've got to be careful on, on how we do that from a product sale point of right. view to young people. So, but with that comes opportunities from a business point of view to making sure that, you know, either from a regulation or this protection side of things. Let me, yeah, I think that, that, that excites me the most from bringing those worlds together and the advertisers and the guys with money embracing it more and really pushing the bar and pushing the boundaries of what we can do from interacting with brands. And I think the metaverse opens up so many more opportunities. Now, in this younger generation, they don't want to be sold to by even an advert mid-break on a YouTube video or, or taking out an advert in a magazine. They want to see the products. You want to reach them and you want to win them over. You, the metaverse is, is, is where to do it. Absolutely. I think what's amazing, younger generations versus older generations, is that they don't see the distinction between digital and physical. And I remember when, you know, when items first began being sold in games for significant amounts and people, you know, 30, 35 and up were like, 
are you kidding? You're you're paying that much for the golden gun? Like, don't you know that it's just they can just create more of them? It's not tangible. It's not limited, etc. Like they, there's infinite of those if they want them, right? That's not real. You're paying for something digital, and coming all the way to the metaverse that you're describing. Now, this is also the mashup of physical and digital. But a unique thing that creates value for the metaverse is that young people see digital the same way they see physical. That's that's you look at Fortnite. The reason that they have made hundreds of millions of dollars every month (laughs) over the last three years on Mm -hmm. items that are purely cosmetic and don't affect the gameplay in any way. But Mm -hmm. if you want to be cool at school, you got to have the skin in the game. Yeah. And that's really Mm -hmm. interesting. I'm curious. I see an obvious application with, you said, you know, brands like a Pizza Hut or maybe an apparel company having uh, in-game skins the same as your, your physical clothes. Are there any other types of brands that you see benefiting from the metaverse other than those two categories? I mean, we've seen, we've talked about it anyway, we've seen artists, so musical artists being able to get their their brand and their products in front of an audience in a, in a way that there's, there's just expected by them, you know, their first engagement with that particular artist, or even not necessarily even an artist. I mean, you've seen the collaborations with the NBA, with during the uh, the Euro Cup, you know, my youngest he's he's never really watched a football game in his life, but being able to download the skins of of some of the English players as an example, he was like, yeah, actually, Dad, we, can we watch the the football? And I was like, if that's what you want to do, we'll do that. But the the, the trigger from that was because he bought the skins in game. Yeah, I'd um, I'm not sure how it will go, but I would say the like yourself from a from a from an advisory point of view or you know plugging your podcast taking it away from not away but um evolving it from the format that we're doing now if you wanted to engage with with yourself why not um have something within the metaverse which allows people to and and we've seen the technology is is there now to be able to from a machine learning from an ai point of view looking at the deep fakes if we can create a a virtual model of yourself within that platform within whether or not it's on fortnite or whether or not it's on another platform i think that would be cool same way from from other services as well lawyers if you want to pull up a a virtual lawyer within the metaverse side of things from a contract point of view i mean we've seen it if you you know looking at films where they show the future, you know, early nineties and, and where they would this dystopian future and how everything is 3d and, and 3d models. And, and they would have examples of that where they would pull up like your virtual lawyer or your virtual attorney. I don't think we're too far away from that. You know, I don't think, and if, if your potential clients are spending all their time in there, why not engage with them in that format, engage with them in that platform? Love that. Well, we're pretty close to the end of this episode. I mean, I'm going to have to have you on again just to discuss the other half of the things that we wanted to talk about. This hour goes quick, especially with an enjoyable conversation with someone like yourself. What I want, I would love to give the the audience a little bit of advice from somebody who's leading a government in esports. I think that it's such a unique position that you're in. So speaking to other people in other countries involved in the government, looking at esports, either what should they know or what should they strive to do to support the space? Okay. I would say, and I've mentioned it already, is authenticity. Now, if you're gonna if you're committed as a government and you're committed as as a, as a jurisdiction to step into the space, you've got to listen to the people that are passionate about it. You've got to listen to the players, you've got to have conversations, you've got to be able to identify what scenes are popular, you know, what 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 within your country or in your location. And listen to them with regards what their pain points are so if you're and and if you're trying to attract people in to come and do business if you're trying to attract players or you're trying to um attract talent here most people within that i've spoken with within the esports industry and whether or not that's org owners whether or not that's pro players or whether or not that's genuine investors they'll always want to know what you're doing say look if i'm going to take you seriously as a government or i'm going to take you seriously as a jurisdiction yes you can have all the fancy pdfs and you can have the fancy showreels and you can talk the talk but tell me about how you're supporting your local scene because these guys can remember when 
they didn't have the money to rub together. They can remember when they weren't the big valuations. They can remember when they played tournaments out of, you know, their friend's basement or an internet cafe or a church hall. And if you can show that, yeah, yes, we've got, you know, the the we've got fantastic internet and we've got fantastic infrastructure and we've got lawyers that know about esports. And but if you can showcase that, yeah, we, we're we're actually also looking after the local scenes and the local grassroots. And that goes a long way. And I've seen that and I've seen it work for me in that, yes, actually, if you want to talk about that, you know, we, we, we sponsor our local smash scene, you know, these three right. university lads that, you know, were running out of church halls and they had a nice following. But what we've done is, is we've given them access to the production team and a production company and brought them together. So now these guys, they're still running their smash tournaments, but they're running it with 80 inch screens and full production deck and it helps them learn and it helps yeah. the production company learn about esports and, and that resonates really well with with people say okay look we can take you as a government seriously because we know you're authentic because i can remember when you know people didn't know what esports was and i can remember when people didn't know what competitive gaming was so i'd say from a recommendation point of view regardless of which government and where you are the ones that are doing well are the ones that have taken the time to look at what they've got going on locally absolutely um, yeah, find the people who are near you, sit down, ask questions, learn, and realize that the way that the community sees it is that talk is cheap. Now that there's a lot of eyeballs and a lot of money in this space, everybody's coming here. But show us with your actions, not with your words, that you're here to support us, and then you'll be supported as well. Exactly. Perfect. Well, let's wrap this one up. I, I so appreciate you joining me. We're definitely going to have to get you on for round two to talk a lot about your career path, talk a lot about your specific esports insights beyond what we talked to today. But before I let you go, is there anybody or any way I should say that you want people to get a hold of you, anything you want to promote to the audience that, that they should pay attention to? I say... <sighs> They can get hold of me via LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, is is how we met, and I think that LinkedIn is is an untapped area within the esports space for people to to reach out and connect with people. And whether or not that's org owners or it's people like myself or yourself, so definitely follow me on LinkedIn and find me. I try and drop esports and video game contact content on a daily basis. So engage me on that, connect with me. But also, you know, ask questions about the other map. You know, we, we are we're called the gem of the Irish Sea for a good reason. I think there's there's so much going on here as a little island that is so attractive to not just people in esports. If you're in the startup space or you're in the tech space, there's a reason why we've seen so many big companies come here, make a home here, relocate here, set up companies here because we are so supportive not just as a government but as a community we're a tight community and when people want to come here and do business here it is a it's a whole different experience if you were to go to london you go to manchester or you go to texas or wherever and we take advantage of the fact that because we're such a small island you can have meetings with the government with with your accountant with your lawyer with your investor all in one morning and you can all go for lunch in the same place in the afternoon as, as a startup or as a, someone who wants to do business rather than having to go across the, you know, the other side of town or the other side of the country or jump on a tube and to have those sort of means you can have all those and you, for the speed at which the esports industry is growing and, and how rapid it is, that's a huge advantage. Be able to get decisions, be able to have those meetings rapid and, and quickly and positively is, is a great sell. So anybody that's just wants to know about the island and wants to know about the, the, the benefits here, yeah, just reach out to me. Love it. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out to Chris, connect with him on LinkedIn, Great content. He's always sharing a ton of knowledge. And I'm looking forward to my trip to Isle of Man, Isle of Man as well. We need to book that. So let's get that you're north. always, always welcome. I'm going to apologize as well. I'm here in the office. It's like seven o'clock. The cleaners, they've been really <laughs> quiet as, as much as they can. So from a noise point of view, yeah, the cleaners are here, which is a good sign that it's time for me to go home as well. Perfect. We'll let you go home then. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining me on the DLC Drop podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 